0: So good morning, everybody. Um, so last week we looked at John the Baptist, right, and what it meant to be a witness. Um, we are we are we are on a journey through the Gospel of John, and I know uh, we spent many many weeks uh, in the prologue, which is the first eighteen verses of John. One of my friends over here did the calculation, and I think he said it would take us three and a half years. To get through John and I promised him it won't take that long. <laughs> I'd lose everybody here. But I wanted to focus, spend some time on the prologue because there's just so much meat in there and I think we need to go through that slowly and chew on that a little bit, right? We left the prologue last week and we talked about John the Baptist and what it meant to be a witness. This week though, we're going to see Jesus calling his first disciples, but before we jump into our text this morning, let's take just a few moments to ponder like who these disciples were. What kind of people were they? John MacArthur wrote in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, that they were perfectly ordinary men in every way. None of them were renowned for scholarship you know, or great study habits. They had no track record as speakers or theologians. In fact, they were outsiders as far as the uh, the religious establishment of Jesus' day was concerned. They were not outstanding because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. On the contrary, they were all too prone to make mistakes, misstatements, wrong attitudes, lapses of faith, and bitter failure. No one more so than the leader of the group, Peter. Even Jesus remarked that they were slow learners and somewhat spiritually dense in Luke 24-25. So, when the Lord tells you you're spiritually dense, <laughs> I think you got to be like I think you got to be a little convicted. I don't know. Um, they are living proof, right, that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Yet, with all their faults and character flaws, as remarkably ordinary as they were, these men carried on a ministry after Jesus' ascension that that literally changed. The world. The impact is greatly felt today everywhere. From Holt Summit, Missouri to you know to Zambia in Africa to Vietnam in Asia and China. All over the world. All over the world. God graciously empowered and used these men to spread the gospel to spread the gospel message. And actually Acts 17 says they turned the world upside down. Ordinary people, like me and you, became the instruments by which Christ's message was carried to the ends of the earth. So let's read our text this morning, and then we're going to dive right in. So we're going to start at John chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to go to 51, and then everybody's going to breathe a sigh of relief, because next week we're jumping into chapter 2, finally. Okay. Uh, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw the following, saw them following and said to them, "What are you seeking?" And they said to him, "Rabbi," which means teacher, "where are you staying?" He said to them, "Come and you will see." So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. (laughs) Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that Christ, the word, became human and walked among us. Thank you that he made witnesses. Thank you that he called and made disciples that turned the world upside down for you. Lord, I pray That through your word this morning, that we may know and we may be disciples and we may make disciples for the same reasons, Lord, that we may turn our community and our world upside down for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a lot here and many different ways I could kind of go with this, but this morning I want to explore what a disciple is, how they're called, using some examples from our text and some implications for us today on actually what it means to be a disciple of Christ. All right, so first of all, though, we will see in John's gospel this morning that Jesus is calling his disciples, men to follow him, learn from him, emulate him, live like him, be like him. However, it was only later that Jesus would call out apostles from this larger group of disciples, Many people will compare what we just read in John chapter 1, 35 through 51, and then they'll look at corresponding passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and go, see, look, I mean, look, Jesus called you know, uh, Peter differently than he called Peter in John. Look, that's, the Bible is just full of contradictions. It's full of myths. Just throw that book away. Superficially. <laughs> but Luke 6, 12 through 16 states it plainly, though that these accounts are not contradictory. Let me read Luke. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, who he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Notice who's not in this list that we're going to talk about and read about in John. Nathaniel. Nathaniel was called as a disciple, but he was not called as an apostle. So when somebody tells you, oh, the Bible, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say one thing, John says another, you know, throw the book away, it's just a book of contradictions, a bunch of myths, you got to tell people, look, stop, read it again Compare the two stories, the two narratives, look at the history and the context, and you will see that Jesus is doing certain things in one section of Scripture and another thing in another section of Scripture, and they are not contradictory. They're not contradictory. So let's not get the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke confused with what's going on here in John. In John's gospel, Jesus is literally starting from scratch, he had just started his ministry. He's got nobody. So now he's building his disciples from whom he's going to call the apostles. Right? He's gathering a bunch of followers whom he will train, mentor, and spiritually grow up. All right, so what is a disciple? I've been throwing out this word so far, and y'all know me well enough to know by now that I like to define important words so that we're clear about what they mean. Right, Because Mormons love Jesus just like Christians love Jesus. But if you don't define who Jesus is, you might think we both love the same person, which would not be the case. Right. So let's look at what a disciple is and let's see what it means. So I think a good definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who steadfastly following Jesus' teachings in the Scripture is being changed by Jesus inwardly and outwardly and is committed to the mission of Jesus to make further disciples. So they follow what Jesus teaches, they're being changed inwardly and outwardly by Jesus, and they're committed to the mission of making more disciples. Those three things, I think, are what make up a disciple of Christ. So what does this mean? Right, Being a disciple means being part of growing the kingdom of God through making other disciples. Being a disciple means that you yourself are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ every day, day by day, through the study of the Bible, and I call it the absorption of Scripture, right? It gets into you, and you just live it. It becomes part of you, right? Being a disciple means living our life day by day as a reflection and a child of God. If we're a child of God as we live day by day, we reflect the family resemblance, or at least we're supposed to, right? Being a disciple means changed day by day to be more like Christ. So disciple making and disciple being are both an attitude and a mindset that I think just permeates every single thing we do. It's a worldview, it's a way we live, it's a way we think think, it's a way we act. And it's a result of being born again in John chapter 3 that we will eventually get to uh, as a new creation and a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ for the glory of the Father. And as we progress through John, we're going to see examples of these points in the lives of Jesus and those that he called. They're going to be out there being changed, learning from Jesus. They're going to be living this life. They're going to be making disciples, right? But this morning, we're just going to look briefly at several ways disciples are called, taken from our text. All right, so the first means of calling disciples is the preaching of the Word of God. The first means is the preaching of the Word of God. So John the Baptist was with his people, um, and they all heard John proclaiming Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said. Now, the text only says in John that John the Baptist said one sentence, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, I'm thinking he said a little more than this. You know, John was out. John the Baptist was out being a witness. He was out preaching. He was out proclaiming Christ. Jesus walks by and he goes, Bam! Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? And this prompted two of his followers to just leave John the Baptist and start following Jesus. But John said nothing on the occasion about following Jesus. But remember, John the Baptist's whole ministry was focused, focused. It was all about pointing people to Jesus and making uh, straight the path to the Lord, right? So John had been instructing his disciples well. So I think that when John was preaching to them and Jesus walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, these two disciples knew exactly what to do. The Lamb of God? Oh, I'm... John, been been nice knowing you. Brother, I'm going to this guy. (laughs) He's the guy you've been pointing out. We're going there, right? So I don't want to get too much into the grammar here either, but the verb to follow in this text has a once and for all action, which I think indicates that they made their commitment to Jesus, right? They weren't going to play 20 questions, you know, or let's just go check this guy out. Let's see where this goes, right? No. They gave themselves fully to Jesus. When Jesus asked these two men what they wanted, they couldn't even give a straight answer, and they certainly didn't seem to even answer the question. Right? Where are you? What are you looking for? Jesus asked. Where are you staying? I mean, hello? What kind of answer is that? But I think in my mind, what these two these two wanted a conversation that cannot be settled in a few minutes at a roadside stop. All right, they walked over to Jesus, and Jesus said, "What are you seeking?" They weren't just going to sit down right there and have a conversation. They wanted, remember they called him rabbi, which means teacher, so they recognized that he was a teacher, but they wanted a long talk. They wanted to sit down with Jesus one-on-one and go, okay, John the Baptist has been teaching us this. What do you have to say about this? Right. So then Jesus welcomes him with the phrase what? Come and see. Come and see. You want to give yourself to me? Come and see what that means. John the Baptist proclaimed the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who forgives sins. And Jesus said, come and see. Come and see what that means. And they stayed with him for an extended period of time. So preaching. So nowadays, preaching can seem a little trite, maybe old-fashioned, right? One person I spoke with said they didn't want to go somewhere to be lectured for 30 minutes. Of course, but then again, how many people will sit and listen to a TED Talk or watch a YouTube video if they know that it's going to help them with their job or their life or whatever it is, right? Um, or they'll watch a three-hour Marvel movie for entertainment, as good as those movies are, you know. <laughs> um, one survey I saw recommended that the sermon be cut out of the worship service and replaced with a motivational talk or a Q&A session. So David Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest ministers of the 20th century, posed this very question. Is there any need of preaching, he says? Is there any place for preaching in the modern church and in the modern world, or has preaching become quite outmoded? He was English, so quite outmoded. I'm not going to beat around the bush here, though, and he said, the primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of the Word of God. Now, but preaching, and by preaching I mean proclaiming Christ and teaching the biblical text, proclaiming Christ, teaching the biblical text, is central to the way God brings people to Christ. But don't believe me, right? Look at, let's look at the Bible. Note in the Gospels, what does Jesus constantly do throughout the four Gospels, right? You see him constantly going to the synagogues and doing what? Sitting down and teaching the Scriptures, right? He pulls out the scrolls. He teaches the scriptures in the synagogues. Even at a young age, right, (laughs) his parents accidentally left him on their trip back from Jerusalem. Right now, I can see this, okay? I'm a parent, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that has done this, but now, you know, Mary says to Joseph, did you get Jesus? No, I thought you said you were going to get him. I didn't get him. You said you were going to get him. Well, who has him? I don't know. I thought you did. Well, where is he? Where was he? He was in the synagogue. At 14, or however old he was, he was in the synagogue teaching the elders, and they were astounded at his authority and knowledge. So at the beginning of the church in Acts, note why the deacons were created and raised up, because the apostles were starting to busy themselves with the care and feeding of widows, And other members of the church. Now, the care of orphans and widows is important work, but that was not the priority for the apostles. So the church raised up deacons so that the apostles could focus on what? Preaching, teaching, and prayer. Preaching, teaching, and prayer. What did Paul do on his missionary journeys? Read Acts. He proclaimed the gospel of Jesus and taught in the public square, even in the synagogues. Somebody told me that whenever Paul went into a town, he, there was either a revival or a revolt. <laughs> so that's what he did, right? So don't underestimate the power and authority of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching and teaching of God's word. All right, but please note here the subject and object of this preaching and teaching and proclaiming. It is Jesus Christ the Word, Jesus Christ, the Word. Not merely my opinions or somebody else's opinions. You know, not our pet cultural theme. You know, Christ and Him crucified. His commands and actions and person and work of the Word of God. So back to Lloyd-Jones. He also asked, what is it that announces the dawn of a revival or reformation? What is it that announces the Dawn of a revival or reformation. it just because we go, "Eh, we're going to take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we're going to have a revival, right? Preach a few extra sermons, and hopefully the Spirit will move. Lloyd-Jones said it is renewed preaching that actually brings on a revival. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's greatest pastor theologians, was a pastor of a small church in New England. On July 8, 1741, he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was a fire and brimstone sermon. But when you read it, you're going to cry your eyes out. <laughs> and this sermon, more than any, sparked the conviction in the hearts of many, not only in his congregation, but all throughout New England. This was the match that started the fire of the first great awakening. So who knows? Perhaps people, you know, perhaps we will see a renewed emphasis on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout, through the preaching and teaching of God's word right here in Holt Summit. right? God may just use us as a match to light the fire for revival. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. So secondly, people are drawn to become disciples of Jesus through the interaction of personal relationships. So number one is preaching the gospel. Number two is personal relationships. Look at John 1. Starting verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now let's look at so that was Andrew and Peter. Now let's look at Philip and Nathaniel, starting in verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathaniel said, very skeptically, can anything anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So these are incredible snapshots of people bringing others within their small circle of friends and family to follow Christ. Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. So think about this. How often do you, remember, How often do you ever hear about Andrew as an apostle? Remember when we read the list of apostles, Andrew was one of them. How often do you ever hear about the exploits of Andrew the apostle? How about never? (laughs) Maybe rarely. I'll give him some credit. You know, he was an apostle. But how often do you hear about Peter? Throughout the Gospels, Acts, his own letters you read about Peter everywhere. And I think there's a great lesson for us here, and that is one of humility and submission to the authority and plan of God. I mean, let's face it, all of these disciples, apostles, were ordinary men, but Andrew was like the most ordinary of ordinary men, I think. I mean, he was really a nobody, right? Yet, he was used by God to bring his brother, Simon Peter, to the Lord, and then his brother was instrumental in bringing Christ to the rest of the world. He was the leader of the pack, so to speak. I mean, many people want to be the one used mightily of God, right? Oh, I want to be in the spotlight. i got to be the center of attention. Look at me and what I'm doing. You know, all Christians will be used mightily of God, but it may not be in the way you think, okay? Think about the idea that without Andrew, there would be no Simon Peter, So do not underestimate the possibility of you bringing someone to the Lord who just may change the world for Christ. Philip and Nathaniel seemed to know each other, and Philip told Nathaniel. And then Nathaniel was skeptical. Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? But what did Philip say? Come and see. Come and see. You know, we may tell somebody, Christianity, church, what good can come out of there? Come and see come and see. Once Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus to come and see, the Lord moved him across the finish line. So never underestimate your small circle of friends and family, right? These are the folks that Jesus will move you to tell first. And who knows? Perhaps, you know, there is one of you who's going to lead a friend or a brother or a sister to become a disciple of Christ who just may be another Simon Peter. You don't know. The Lord knows. So thirdly, very quickly, I want to touch on one other way someone might be uh, brought to the Lord, and that is through direct action from the Lord. So you got preaching, you got personal relationships, then you got what I call direct action, right? Philip was an example of this. Jesus found Philip. They were walking along, Jesus found Philip, and Jesus said, follow me. And follow me is the motto of the United States Army Infantry, Philip, being a great infantryman, said, yes, sir, roger that. And he followed Jesus immediately, okay? Sometimes people are so moved by the Holy Spirit when alone reading their Bibles or maybe listening to a preacher or teacher that they come through direct action by the Spirit of God. One example of this is from a person named Doreen Virtue, Doreen Virtue. Doreen was a popular New Age spiritist who had a large following, books, products, large ministry. I mean, she was like the new age of new age. TV show, YouTube, the whole nine yards, all right? But in January 2015, Doreen Virtue was driving through Ohio, and as she drove to her various gigs, she loved to listen to many Christian speakers on the radio. Now, what's interesting is that she said Most of them simply reinforced her own New Age beliefs, which I think just breaks my heart right then and there. But this time, though, (laughs) she began listening to a sermon by Pastor Alistair Alistair Begg, Alistair Begg, who, if any of you know Alistair Begg, is not going to (laughs) reinforce any of her New Age beliefs, okay? Highly recommend Alistair Begg. But he was preaching about false prophets, So Doreen recognized that she matched the description of a false prophet and began going to church. And then in early 2017, she began studying the Bible. When she read Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, which lists the sinful activities of the New Age, Doreen got on her knees, repented, and gave her life to the Lord. So I see something similar to Jesus approaching Philip and telling him to follow me. Right? Doreen Virtue was in her God-appointed time and place, and the Spirit of God, the true Spirit of God, not the New Age Spirit, the the true Spirit of God, moved her to listen to Alistair Begg. This led to a chain of events and fellowship with other people who were then used to bring her to Christ. Sometimes God works this way in a more direct action as well, right? So let me conclude. I'm going to give a couple of implications of disciple-making for us today. One is that Jesus gives spiritual sight to his disciples. The phrase, come and see, is a great example. After Nathanael became a disciple, Jesus said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see even greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. So coming to Jesus in John's gospel means again and again, Entrusting yourself to Jesus, receiving his promises. So they come to him, right? And they stay with him through the rest of the day. Now, in verses 40 41, they show that they had indeed seen. At first, they were, they were only seeking, hey, Lord, you know, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where are you staying? But when they went and they came and see and they spent time with him, then they saw. Their eyes were opened, and they received knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. The point is that if you come to see Jesus, if you come to Jesus, you will see. You will see. You will see spiritual reality. You will see the key that unlocks the ultimate meaning of all things. This is the glory of the Son of God, the grace we received. Like Brooke said, that he lavishes upon us. Day after day after day. So secondly, Jesus, first of all, he gives us sight. Secondly, Jesus gives us a new identity. I mean, how many times today do we hear about my identity? I identify as some odd whatever, blah, blah, blah. Verse 42 said he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. Hmm, you're going to be called Cephas which means Peter. There's no explanation why. Jesus just looks at Simon and says, you know what? You're going to be called Peter. No explanation, no nothing. But that's not the point. The point is this. Jesus has authority to give you whatever name he pleases, and in giving you a name, he determines your destiny. He determines your destiny. The point is the glory of Christ, not the glory of Peter. Don't miss the implicit authority in what Jesus does here in John 1.42. You are Simon. You will be called Peter, period. Not, oh, if you like it. Oh, not just if it works out, right? This is authority of Jesus to choose Simon, name Simon, and determine Simon's destiny. And there is no identity for your life better than the one Jesus gives you. And again, we receive grace upon grace from the fullness of this authority, Again, that he lavishes upon us, lavishes upon us. I like that word, too, lavish. It's like, yeah, waterfall. (laughs) Finally, so Jesus commands allegiance, right? He opens our eyes. He lets us see. He gives us a new identity, and then he commands allegiance. Jesus has authority unilaterally to command allegiance. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Philip said, Roger that, and he did so. Bam, done. So we see the only Son of God assuming the authority that he can command allegiance. And later on, he will say to you, or say to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In John 15, 16. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking you don't have to choose him, you do. But what Jesus is saying is, when you choose me, When you really come to me and receive me as your lamb and bread and water and shepherd, then you will know that I chose you first. So the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, is glorious as the one who says with full authority to Peter, follow me. So Summit Community Church, are we ready to be disciples of Christ? Are we ready to make disciples of Christ? So this is our challenge this morning. All right, let us pray.